0: Morning. Morning, Stanley. Um, we're going to hear the word of God from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth, plainly we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled for those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, he made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted. We haven't been abandoned. Struck down. We're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus May also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life also may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Therefore, don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, that is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, James. The
1: year was 1985. A serial entrepreneur named Mac Anderson had an idea for a business. He hired a team of graphic designers and enlisted them to put together a series of posters. His mission? To cover the empty wall spaces in offices across America. He called the business Successories. You've seen them everywhere. These motivational posters featuring sports and outdoor photographs paired with pithy words and quotes of encouragement. They're in your doctor's office, hanging over the desk of the the supermarket manager, maybe even in your workplace. The photos are dramatic. They look like a 2000s Windows screensaver, and they encourage us to be the best we can be, to succeed, to forgive, to shoot, to score. You might recognize this one. It's probably their bestseller, Teamwork. It's the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. How many of you have seen these posters before? Well, a few years ago, someone made a knockoff of these posters, a a twist to produce the perhaps equally well-known demotivational posters. (laughs) Fittingly for sale at despair.com. Here are some examples. Mistakes. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. (laughs) Doubt. In the battle between you and the world, bet on the world. (laughs) Humiliation. The harder you try, the dumber you look. (laughs) Losing. If at first you don't succeed, failure may be your style. (laughs) And despair. It's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. (laughs) We laugh because we know what it's like to be discouraged. Have you ever been discouraged? Has life ever made you feel like giving up? I've titled the message this morning, Hope When Life Hurts. And can we be honest with each other this morning? Life hurts sometimes. There are days, there are weeks, there are seasons of our lives when trials and afflictions, pain and suffering, they just show up on our doorstep. And the question I have for us this morning is, when discouragement and despair come knocking at our door, how do we keep from losing heart? How do we keep from giving up? I think that's the primary question lingering in Paul's mind as he writes 2 Corinthians 4. Almost like bookends of the chapter, verse 1 and verse 16 highlight for us the theme of Paul's message. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We're a few weeks into this series in 2 Corinthians, and by way of reminder, let let me just... Highlight some of the context for why Paul is writing these words. The church in Corinth was questioning Paul's ministry and his message because he was facing affliction and suffering and opposition. It seems that there were some celebrity pastors who had influence on the church in Corinth suggesting that Paul's ministry and message should be judged by the world's standards of success and power. And by those standards, Paul's suffering was reason to doubt God's blessing on his life and ministry. And let me just say, it's easy for us to sit here on Sunday morning and say, of course, that's not true. But how often do we operate under a similar mindset? How often do we assume that God's blessing is found in seasons of prosperity and health? And when suffering comes, we question God's goodness. We get discouraged. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear the sincerity in my voice when I say this. You are not alone. The scriptures are filled with individuals and communities who struggled with this very question. That when suffering and pain enter our lives, How do we reconcile God's goodness and his power? And I want to suggest that these first few chapters of 2 Corinthians are not simply Paul giving us a trite or simplistic answer to suffering. But I think it's Paul wrestling through the complexities of his own suffering and sharing that struggle with the church. And I think Paul is pointing us to the reality that God delights in redeeming suffering and using it as a platform for his power and grace. And so when Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart, there's an implied struggle there. Paul dealt with discouragement, too. He said in chapter one, verse eight, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And so the question circling this chapter of Second Corinthians chapter four is. What's the key, Paul? How do you keep from losing heart? What's the key to defying discouragement in the face of this kind of affliction and pain? I could preach on this text for weeks. It's one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. The, the depth of Paul's explanation of our hope in the midst of suffering is profound and Practical. And so that being said, uh, my goal this morning in our limited time is not to explain everything in this chapter. But to help us see the big picture and apply it to our lives. And so let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And as we do, I want to suggest that one of Paul's keys to not giving in to discouragement how he's able to say we keep from losing heart is that the glorious light of the gospel causes us to see life differently. And the first way that the light of the gospel causes us to see life differently is is it causes us to see ourselves differently. We see ourselves differently in the light of the gospel. No, notice what he said here in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5: For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. And then when he jumps down to verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure. What is the treasure? Well, the verse before he says, the light shone in the darkness that has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Christ. You know what that is? That's the good news of the gospel that we have access to God through Jesus. And it changes the way we see ourselves. And and how does that relate to not losing heart? Well, here's what Paul's saying in this. In these first few verses, he's saying, I believe that God changes lives, not me. And so as he thinks about his ministry and the suffering he's facing and the opposition and maybe the temptation to look at the numbers of people being impacted. He says, I don't lose heart because I believe it's God who removes the veil. I believe it's God who changes lives. So what I'm going to preach is not me but I'm going to preach Jesus. And so then in verse 7, he makes this this key statement for us in this chapter. In verse 7, he says, we have this treasure, the glory of the gospel that we have access to Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the... All surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so we see ourselves differently in the light of the gospel because it causes us to see that we are frail. We do face suffering. We do face some hard and broken realities in this world. And Paul uses this image of jars of clay. Jars of clay in the ancient Roman world were, were simple often cracked, very easily broken, everyday-use jars. And so he's saying, we have fragile lives. We aren't extraordinary. We aren't an ornamental dish in which God puts puts his gospel on display. He puts his gospel in ordinary people. Why? To show that the all-surpassing power comes from God, And not ourselves. And so, as as he moves forward in this, uh, he not only do we see ourselves differently in light of the gospel, but we see our suffering differently in light of the gospel. And I think this is part of the key for us. As Paul says, we do not lose heart. As we start to see that God delights, in redeeming the most hard and hurtful things in our lives and using them as a platform for his power and grace. And For some of us, that's a little bit hard to hear because suffering is hard. It does hurt. And I want you to hear me in saying this. God is not the author of suffering. He is the redeemer of suffering. We live in a broken world marked by the painful effects of sin. And with that comes the painful realities that he says in verse 16, we are outwardly wasting away. But in that context, God delights in redeeming the most hard and hurtful things and using them as a platform to show That he is good, that he is powerful, and that he brings life from death. You probably noticed as James was reading this text, Paul talks about how we carry around the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest. You're kind of like, what is Paul talking about? And and next week in chapter 5, we're going to explore the glorious reality of the resurrection. But what Paul's doing in this text is saying the resurrection, and I'll often say this to us, this is kind of a framework when the New Testament talks about resurrection. It's a historical event. Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't raise, our faith is futile. We are here for no reason this morning. But Jesus rose from the dead. It's a historical reality, but it points us to a future reality that we too who have put our faith in Jesus will rise with him. But when the New Testament writers talk about resurrection, it almost seems like they're using it like a metaphor, like it's part of of our present experience. And this is where um, resurrection is a a present reality for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And here's what that looks like. Jesus rose from the dead. And so because of that, we have hope that we too will rise. And that changes our present perspective, our present reality of how we view suffering. Because we have a God who brings death, brings life from death. And so when we look at our lives and we see these painful realities that we are outwardly wasting away, we look to Jesus his death and resurrection, and we see a framework, it becomes the fabric of who we are as followers of Jesus, that we are fragile. We, are, we, we do experience pain, but God brings life out of those things. In a moment, Mary's going to come and um, share with us a little bit of what this has looked like in her life. But I want to suggest for us, as we think about 2 Corinthians 4, I, would, I want to suggest that the key to defying discouragement is not denying the pain of suffering. Paul's real. He goes through that list. We are, we are pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. He says in verse 16, we are outwardly wasting away. He's honest. This world is painful. But the key to defying discouragement is depending upon the resurrection power of Jesus in the midst of those spaces and believing that Jesus can make us new. A few years ago, I saw an advertisement for Olay Age Defying Daily Renewal Cleanser. Now, I don't want to step on any toes this morning. Um, but Olay, age-defying daily renewal cleanser The advertisement claimed that results would be visible the, moment, the minute it is applied Making your face look smoother and feel softer And I want to suggest that while Olay can try to hide the wrinkles that we see in the mirror It cannot hide the discouragement that we often feel in our soul 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Though we are outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. Some of you know firsthand the reality of Paul's statement that we are outwardly wasting away. Maybe you're tired and weary from the pressures of life, your family, your job, Some of you are having trouble sleeping at night. Some of you have a mom, dad, brother, sister, friend who with one word can identify with Paul's statement. Cancer, stroke, disease. And you feel the pain of suffering with them. And your heart's discouraged. Verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though we are outwardly wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The container of Olay says that the key to defying age is daily application to the face. But I want to suggest that the key to defying discouragement is daily renewal of our soul. And how do we do that? We look to the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. As Lawrence pointed us to in chapter 3, as we behold the glory of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And as we experience that inward renewal, we have strength to press on. And we can say with Paul, we do not lose heart. Those words of the hymn writer kind of ring true that the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Mary's going to come and help us put this on and wear it.
2: Oh, wait. He said we were pounding it before I come up. I remember being 15 years old. I was on a family vacation and This verse kept coming to my mind, these words that I couldn't quite put my finger on. And um, I borrowed my dad's work phone and went up to the top floor of the vacation rental we were in, and I laid down on that bed, and I decided, I know what I'm going to do. I can't figure out this verse. I'm going to call somebody from youth group, and certainly he will know what verse I'm talking about. So I dialed Peter Fry's cell phone, and don't tell him but I totally liked him. <laughs> so thankfully, Peter answered, and I was saying, okay, there's this verse in my head. It's something like our bodies aren't doing great, but our souls are doing okay because of Jesus. And thankfully, he knew exactly what I was getting at. He said it was 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. That's it. And as a 15-year-old, I was starting to grasp that reality of my physical body fading away because I was born with cystic fibrosis, which is a progressive disease that affects many parts of my body, including lungs and digestive system and my liver. And so as I was getting into my teen years, my lungs were really starting to decline. And side note, if you ever hear me coughing during the service, I'm totally fine, it's a CF thing, and I am not contagious. (laughs) Uh, But though I was experiencing the bitter reality of suffering in this world, I was also starting to experience the reality of my soul being renewed daily by God, and that's probably why those words kept repeating in my mind. This is a truth and a reality that I continue to experience two decades later. And now as I stand before you, my health is stable and I'd love to tell you that story sometime. And I'm speechlessly grateful for that. And just as God was faithful in my sickest days, He is faithful now. I still see the long-standing effects of CF on my body and I also see the repeated renewing of Christ in my heart and mind. During my sickest years, it was becoming more and more discouraging as each course of treatment that I was doing just wasn't working, and each hospital stay was unproductive. Peter was in seminary at the time, and I remember sitting on our bed in our little seminary apartment, processing through tears the progression of my disease. But that night, I remember saying to Peter, think I've realized something. It doesn't matter what works or doesn't work for my body. I have all I need in Jesus. And in the years to follow, God kept reminding me, you have all you need in me. And whenever I walk into that CF clinic, and we would start talking about treatment options, the big question is, What does your body need? What will work? And the answer to those questions is almost always, we don't know. But there is one answer my heart knows. I have all I need in Jesus. Such that when I've tried all the antibiotic options, and I had done the most intensive physical therapy, and I had tried all of the -the out-of-the-box medications, and yet I still watched my body decline, in that moment, I had that deep-seated reminder, I have all I need in Jesus. I'm so grateful that God taught me that sweet and powerful statement all those years ago because I still need it today. My body is now stable, but that statement rings true. I have all I need in Jesus. Even if this miracle medication that I'm on stops working, I have all I need in Jesus. There's a song that goes, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And I used to sing that song with eyes full of tears and a mind full of confidence that those words are true. In the midst of indescribably difficult seasons, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. And now, fast forward many years, and I find myself singing another portion of that song as well. Let my children tell their children... Let this be their memory that all my treasure was in heaven and you were everything to me. And that's my prayer now, that my children and my foster children would see the reality of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, alive and on display in my life. And my prayer is that it will be true in their lives as well that no matter the wasting away that they will live through in this earthly experience, that their hearts would be daily renewed by Christ. Not many in this room will experience having a chronic lung disease, but everyone here will experience the reality that we are outwardly wasting away. And my prayer for my children and my family and my friends and myself and for all of us here, is that though our outer bodies are wasting away, our inner selves will be renewed day by day. And let's be honest, life in this broken world is full of suffering and pain. It can be easy to lose heart. The key to defying discouragement is not to deny the pain, but to depend on God's power, to come back to his throne of grace daily to be renewed by his power, to be reminded of our hope, and to realize anew that we have all we need in Jesus. And as we do, we echo Paul's words. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Would you pray with me? Father, we do feel our need so desperately for you to renew us. I pray for those sitting in this room that are in those darkest of night seasons. That the, the discouragement almost feels like it could break us but we acknowledge, Lord, that you are the one who can redeem the most hard and hurtful seasons. Thank you for being near. I pray that those who are hurting today would feel your nearness. To you be the glory and the honor. Amen.